It felt only right starting chapter four with a bit of an apology because I was late getting the podcast up this week. I flew back from New York on Sunday, um, landed early Monday morning, and I was straight into press interviews and things like that. One of the things that I've learned from doing this podcast is how much happens to you and how much there is to learn if you just stop, think and reflect, and especially if you document it. And now I document my life in multiple ways. I have a YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, and all these other platforms. But the most powerful form of documentation I've come across is in keeping this diary. And what happens is you learn infinitely more from the same experiences just by writing them down, reflecting on them, self-analyzing, and learning. And it stops you from making the same, same mistakes multiple times in your life. It helps you realize who you are a little bit better. It helps you understand the world around you. It helps you understand you better. And this podcast, um, I have to thank you for, for, for giving me the opportunity to speak to you because it's done a tremendous amount for me. And because it has, I want to challenge you this week to keep your own diary for one week. And here's how I do it. As the week plays out, there are things that happen to me. There are thoughts I have in my head. There are epiphanies. There are questions I ask myself. There are things I'm unsure about. All I do is I write them down. I write it down as a bullet point in my diary. And then when it comes to Sunday night, I look back at my diary and I reflect on the way I acted, the things I I struggled with, the questions I asked myself, and I reflect on the points in my diary. And by doing so, I promise you, you will learn more in seven days than you have ever learned about yourself, why you are the way you are, and those thoughts that maybe you didn't want to vocalize. And me vocalizing it with you, and I, I honestly recommend you to, to vocalize it out loud because it's allowed me to analyze better, has been the most powerful way for me to really, really understand things that I thought I understood. Only in vocalizing it did I really understand those things? So thank you. Thank you for giving me your ear. Thank you for giving me your time. And thank you for paying uh, paying attention to, to my diary. Without further ado, this is chapter four. I'm Steve Bartlett. This is the diary of a CEO. I hope nobody's listening. But if you are, then please keep this to yourself. Okay, so the first point in my diary this week is simple. And it's fairly contentious in itself, which is ironic. This podcast is getting me in trouble. (laughs) Because of the sheer nature of what this podcast is, it's open and it's honest. I've had a few instances now where things that I've said have gotten me in trouble. And I wanted to start there and by explaining why I'm getting in trouble, but also offer the people who have been offended by this podcast a little bit of insight into why it is the way it is, and why I think you're being offended. Um, The area in which I've been getting in trouble the most is whenever I talk about relationships, because obviously that's an area that involves real people, and I completely understand that. I'll never mention names, and and I have no intent of taking revenge. In all of my podcasts, you'll know there's a trend of me taking blame. That's... That I'm not trying to victimize anybody, anybody at all. But I think the thing that is getting me in trouble is the dis- 
disparity or the difference between what I might have said to somebody and what I say on this podcast. The reality is this podcast is me thinking out loud. I'm right now I'm sat in a dark room next to my washing machine under the stairs thinking out loud. So when I've had a conversation with you in real life about an issue, my thoughts may not have been developed and as clear as they are when I sit alone and I think out loud. This podcast isn't scripted. There's no text, okay? Everything I'm saying is off the top of my head and it's very, very clear and focused when you when you are alone and when you um when you have time to think on those issues. So I had one instance this week where someone messaged me and because of something I'd said in last week's chapter um, wasn't the same as what I'd said to them, they had taken offence. And I promise you that's not intentional. I promise you I, I didn't mean to lie. I, I, and I promise you that speaking out loud and doing the podcast as I do it results in some interesting epiphanies for me. Um, th- that's just the truth. I can't change this podcast. It's done too much good for me. It's given me too much clarity. I can't start to fluff it up. I can't start to um, exaggerate or understate things. I have to keep it as it is. And if that means that it offends people because I discover my truth, then I apologize. But that was not my intention. Changing subject. The next point in my diary is based on a question I was asked after an event I did this week. Um, I spoke at an influencer marketing conference in London earlier in the week, and a guy came up to me just as I was stepping into my taxi, and he said, how do you grow a marketing agency? He said he's, he started his own business now, and he wants to know how we grew Social Chain to the size it is today. For anyone that doesn't know, Social Chain is a big global agency now. It's across four different countries. There's 160-odd um, people within the, within the company. Very, very big business. And we work with the biggest brands in the world. These are your your apples to your your coca-colas to everybody in between um and it's taken us about two and a half three years to get to this point from being two of us sat on a desk to 160 people so what is the one thing or what are the two things or three things that have been most responsible for the speed of that growth and it was simple to me because he asked me as I was stand, stepping into a taxi, I had to think quick. I, I couldn't be specific in terms of the, you know, it was this moment or this client or da da da. So I had to think top line. And my answer was the first thing that sprung to my mind, which was our story. Every single person listening to this podcast right now, whether you're a business owner or not, you have a story. And the thing that resonates and connects most with people, the thing that touches the heart isn't telling someone how many clicks you managed to get on a video or how many um, people or impressions you got that's bullshit it's boring it's forgettable the thing that connects most with people is an emotional story a story that makes people feel something that's also funnily enough the thing that connects most in a marketing sense so why wouldn't it be the thing that connects most with marketing directors who have to choose to work with your business or your company or your customers right your customers care about that that emotion emotive story behind the product decision so that for me that's the answer it's our story when we started social chain we had this 15 to 20 page deck that i'd made that basically said this bunch of kids have dropped out of university my mum isn't speaking to me we've built tremendous influence to the point where we can influence millions and hundreds of millions of people at the click of a button and here's an example of us doing something awesome and 
in that story, I talk about my mum. I talk about Dom's mum, my business partner. I talk about dropping out of university, the highs, the lows, the moments of um, immense sacrifice. And through that emotional story, you just happen to learn about our business. And I honestly think you wouldn't learn about our business. You definitely wouldn't remember our business had it not been told in the context of a powerful emotional story. And so I implore everybody that's starting a, in a service business, a marketing business, um, or any kind of business to figure out what your most powerful story is and figure out how to sell it. Cause that's definitely been the thing that's moved the needle for us the most. The next thing I think is about embracing who you are. I, I see it time and time again where young people in particular will be ashamed of their, their youth. So they'll increase their age when they're talking to clients or they will, um, try and be somebody else. They'll try and wear, you know, they'll wear a suit to try and be older. You don't win unless you embrace your truth and you own it. And that's what we did at the very start. I realized that when we started our business, all of our competition were bigger. They had more clients, they had more staff, they had more capabilities, more experience. And in fact, in embracing the fact that we were small, we were able to beat them. Because Companies and competition that are bigger, that have more clients, that have more experience, are also more stuck in their ways. They have more meetings, they have more red tape, they have more process. And in there lies the opportunity to win. We were unromantic about what we had to do tomorrow to win tomorrow. And so we were agile, and our competition aren't agile. We were incredibly young. We were 18-year-olds, we were 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds. And so when we walked into that room with older 60-year-old, 50-year-old, 40-year-old marketing directors, we embraced our truth. We're super young and that's why we're better because we're native to social media. And I honestly believe there are so many business owners out there right now that are transfixed on being somebody else, being a different business, trying to be older, trying to be more experienced. And you're going to lose because of that. The way you win is by embracing exactly who you are, owning it and running with it. The next thing I think is um, paramount to access is people. Um, only in hindsight have I figured out the impact of bringing good people into the business um, and how that has probably been the single most transformative thing as a CEO I've been able to do. People, a company by definition, by definition, the word company is a group of people. Think about that. Your company is just a group of people. And so, as Steve Jobs said, being a great talent scout is the single most important uh, thing. It's the single most important job for a CEO. And it's the 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 easiest way to have the greatest um, progression in your company. Point number four I wrote on this was about financial clarity. In the early days, we were just doing stuff. And we weren't laser focused on finance and the impact it was having or how much profit we were making. We just thought, you know, if you sign a client and they pay you £20,000, then you make £20,000. Honestly, that's what we thought. But if that client takes you two months to sign and then it takes two months to do the work, you're actually making zero because you have bills to pay and electricity and staff wages. And that, for, for any business owners that are listening to this now, might seem obvious, but it honestly isn't that obvious when you're in the zone and you're executing and you're trying to win business. You've got to take account, and this is one of the great things I've learned, for time. And 
time pre winning that business and post winning that business. And that's why the single most important thing for anybody who's running a service business or a marketing business is to find clients that are long term. Stop worrying about winning new business. Do more for your existing clients. That's the single thing in terms of um, client strategy that's had the biggest impact. Do more for your current clients. Winning business is expensive. It takes time. And then you have to keep pitching and pitching and pitching and pitching and pitching. Do more for your current clients. And lastly, and I'll, I'll close this point out on this last note, is just about delivering great service. Not just a great result, not just great sort of meeting your KPIs, but delivering a great service all around. And that's customer service as well. And that's that. Okay, the next point in my diary was inspired by a message I got this week um, from someone who listens to the podcast and they listen to my YouTube channel. And I, and I actually got quite angry and frustrated with this person, which is quite rare, but I guess it's a product of really, really caring. Because if I didn't care, I know I wouldn't have replied. But I saw someone stepping wrong, so I replied. And I replied very, very passionately. And some might say borderline aggressively. I'll tell you the story. A young guy who repeatedly showed up at my office at 6am in the morning um, on multiple occasions to try and meet me and tell me about his idea, um, messaged me on Facebook and he said, Steve, I've been listening to all your podcasts and your YouTube channel and all these things. And I've got a business idea now. I've quit my job um, and I'm going to create a waterproof backpack. And I said, okay, can you send me some uh, information about this backpack? And he sent me a, a document about this backpack that he'd put together. And the document was terrible. Um, the idea was terrible as well. It was uninteresting, unique. There was nothing proprietary about this waterproof backpack. There are already waterproof backpacks out there. And in that moment, I did what Steve Bartlett sometimes does. And I was very, 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 very honest with him. And I told him, based on meeting him, based on reading his document, based on um, the way he presented the document to me, because he'd also sent me five or six voice notes about the document. So I had a very clear picture of the idea, him, his ability to sell it. And also I'd met him face to face because he showed up at my office at 6am to meet me. Um, I told him to not do it. I told him this was a, a, um, a bad idea on the basis that as an entrepreneur, he wasn't ready yet to win on the fundamentals. And this isn't something I say lightly, but I'm going to be completely honest, okay? And I'm sorry if this offends anybody listening. The guy couldn't articulate himself well. He couldn't present his idea well in a document. The document was horrendously ugly, horrendously ugly. It was incoherent. It made no sense. His voice memos were delusional. In his voice memos, he told me that he was going to either create this waterproof backpack or just sell the idea for ten million pounds, and there was so there's so there was so much fundamentally wrong. I could literally sit here all day and tell you what was fundamentally wrong with this young entrepreneur and his approach. And so my advice to him was, okay, stop, don't do this. Go and learn more. Go and throw yourself into a startup or some other situations where you can learn as cheap as possible. And when I say as cheap as possible, I mean go and sit next to a CEO and fail with them but not at your expense. And that's what being a consultant is basically about. You get to learn, you get to fail as cheap as possible. That's my advice to him. His response back to me was textbook Steve Bartlett quotes. <laughs> he said, Steve, I've got no plan B. I'm going to do it. 
regardless of your doubt, regardless of your questioning me, I'm going to make it happen. I don't want to get a job. This is going to be my life. I'm going to make this waterproof backpack happen. And in that moment, I realized with such horror (laughs) what I might have created in some people because of the type of content that I put out. The content I put out promotes a persistence. It promotes a, um, a, a just having a plan A. It promotes going after it regardless. And it doesn't always factor in the need for talent and um, some kind of inherent skills, right? You can learn a lot of stuff, right? Trying leads to, to failure, which leads to learning, which leads to being better. We said that last chapter. But you have to have some fundamentals. You have to be able to speak. And I, when I say speak, I don't mean be super articulate. Just speak, right? You have to be able to write. You have to be able to um, communicate your idea. You have to um, know something about something, right? As a foundation. That has to be your strength. And when I was 18 years old, I was I was very good at selling to people. I was very good at persuasion. Um, I didn't know a lot about technology. I didn't know, know a lot about the social networking and all these kinds of things, which went on to be my businesses. But I had this foundation which allowed me to win on something. It allowed me to persuade investor, persuade a team, bring people together and those things. This young entrepreneur, unfortunately, didn't have those things. Um And upon him saying that to me, that he was going to persist regardless and that I was essentially joining a big pile of haters, I realized how dangerous the content that I put out there can be for some people and how easily it could be for me to to mislead people into a life that isn't built for them, but was in fact just built for for someone else, Um, a life built for me. We all have our own destinations, our own journeys, and the life that is built, suited and built for us. For everybody, that's not an entrepreneur. You don't have to be an entrepreneur. It's not for everybody. Um, and unfortunately, I confuse this guy into thinking that to be successful as an entrepreneur, um, he just had to persist blindly. And that certainly is not the case. Certainly is not the case. Self-awareness and understanding where you're at and who you are and what you're good at is the thing that turns the lights on. And for this young man, I turned the lights on. I told him straight. I told him every area I thought he was fundamentally flawed. Um, I told him his vocally he was terrible. His presentation was terrible. His idea was unique. He was deluding himself. He needed to understand his weaknesses and his strengths. He needed to double down more on his strengths as opposed to trying to build a life out of his weaknesses. Um, and I went in hard on him. Very, 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 very hard on him. And in the moment, as I said, he pushed back. But the next day I got a lovely message from him saying, thank you so much for telling me what you told me last night. I realised that I've got more practice to do um, and more to learn before I try and um, be somebody uh, who's building a a, a consumer business like this um and then i was really 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 happy to see the next day he started doing live videos on his facebook because he was he was practicing a little bit more um and i commented on his live video telling him to keep it up and how uh, impressed i was with his first live video just had to share that with you because it's been been on my mind next i think kind of linked to that point is i wanted to ask the answer the question what it's like being a ceo um i'm gonna do it in bullet points if i possibly can the first point about what it's like being a CEO is you're constantly people juggling. You're, that's that's 80% of 
my time in the office is people juggling. And what I mean is you're continually trying to maintain the balance of happiness and, and drive and smashing your objectives and managing a, a big group of people, potential hires, existing hires, and even you know people that used to work in your business. So the first thing is being really, really good at people juggling. Um, the next thing is I believe that when it comes to being a CEO, everyone wants the power, the status, the rewards, but nobody wants the cost, right, of being a CEO or really the responsibility that comes with the power because those things make your life hard, right? So everybody wants the power to be able to walk in in the morning and make any decision they want. And everybody wants the status. Everybody wants the word CEO in their bio, it would appear. And everybody wants the apparent rewards in terms of um, a big paycheck or those kinds of things. But there's not a lot of people that want the sacrifice. There's not a lot of people that want to spend every single day of their life working. Um, There's not a lot of people that want to have the burden of making tough decisions and those tough decisions sitting on their shoulders. Um, And that's what it takes to be a CEO. Uh, Next, the thing that's the biggest change that's happened in me in the last three years is I've become colder and tougher But on the other side, I've become warmer and nicer. And that's that's something when I reflect that had to happen. I had to be able to be tougher in certain situations and colder when dealing with tough business people or you know challenging challenging people. And on the other side, I had to make sure that that toughness and that coldness doesn't come into the office. And isn't translated onto members of the team um, and clients and things like that. So I had to get colder, more empathetic, and nicer on the other side. So I've kind of, my emotional sort of barometer has gone both ways, um, which is again something I've learned only on reflection. Um, next point is when you're the CEO of a business, your mistakes are the most expensive, and so you can't you can't make them as frequently as others you have to be more self-analyzing and reflecting and this is why this diary has been great because if you make the same mistake if you make a mistake especially a, a mistake that relates to people if you lose your temper or your you lose your emotional intelligence it can have grave impacts on your business and so uh you know especially as a young ceo you have to you have to um grow up before you're grown up if that makes sense um and so I often say when people say, oh, how old are you? I'll say, oh, you know, 24, 25. Um, but I'll always caveat it with, I feel like I'm 35 or 45. Um, you, you, I've come to learn that age is n- definitely not a number. It's a, the sum total of the experiences you've had and the ones you've learned from. So, yeah. Uh, the, the next point is, I guess, you become the last line of complaining. And as I think one of the famous presidents had on their desk, um, I think it was Ronald Reagan had a placard on his desk that says the buck stops here. The buck definitely stops here. There's nobody for you to complain about things that are happening to. And in fact, you have to absorb and appease all the complaints and all the negativity that um, you get within your business. And the way that I spot leaders within my company is I look for the people who upon receiving a negative stimulus or a complaint or a negative situation, they don't pass it on. They absorb it. Those are your leaders. 
I want to say that again because I think it's vitally important. The leaders in your organization, in business, or the people that are built to be leaders are the people that absorb the negativity and then they produce solutions for it. They don't pass it on. People that aren't leaders, they'll take a negative situation, um, say something bad happens, and then they'll go and communicate that thing to five other people and pass it on and they'll vent and then they'll let their mood be corrupted or brought down by that negative situation. Leaders in that situation will go to that person they'll absorb the negativity, they'll comfort the person, and they'll offer solutions. And they won't pass that negativity on to anybody else. Um, and that's what you've got to do when you're a CEO. You absorb everything. You're, the, you're like a punching bag for, for negativity. No, you're like a sponge, let's say, for negativity. Um, but that's fine. You get used to it. And the last point, and this could have been a, a topic itself. In fact, this could be a book, um, is about spending your time. One thing that I've come to learn more and more and more as I've done this podcast, but also as I've had more responsibilities and constraints on my time in my real life is about the importance of spending your time. Isn't it funny that when we refer to time, we say, I'm going to spend time doing this, or I spent time on this last week. And the reason why we use the word spend is because time is a finite currency. And as a CEO, you come to learn that your time is your single most important currency. You have a limited supply of it. And where you place your time defines your life. Okay, so I look at my diary in a week and say I've got 10 meetings in one day. I look at those meetings and I think, okay, how can I reduce these meetings or which ones are going to be a bad expenditure of time? And the way that I think you should look at it for yourself is if you had to pay physical money out of your bank account for the time you spent with people or doing things, what would you continue to spend actual money on? Um, and I think about this not just in business, but with friends and, and with people in my life. If I had to pay to hang out with X person, would I keep paying physical money? And the crazy thing is your time is worth so much more than money. Money you can get more of. It prints out of a machine somewhere in London or America or wherever you are in the world. It prints from a machine. Time is finite. You only have a certain amount. Um, and as a CEO, you just got to be fucking extra careful about how you're spending your time and not wasting it because, yeah, it's all you fucking have. Next point in my diary. So I, I wrote a question, which is not something I always do, but the question reads, what worries me most about the future? And I think this was the byproduct of overhearing somebody in an Uber pool talking about this to their, their parent or their grandmother. I couldn't figure out who it was, but I got an Uber pool for the first time last week and I sat in the back of that Uber. And for anybody that doesn't know what an Uber pool is, it's uh, you get an Uber, but it's shared with somebody else who's going in the same direction, basically. And I didn't mean to order an Uber pool, but I'm glad I did because I learned something. Um, I meant to order the normal Uber, but I wasn't looking, paying attention, and I ended up getting an Uber with somebody else. And I can't, I don't know the full context of their conversation, but it was centered around worries for the future. So I wrote in my diary as I was sat in that Uber pool listening to that conversation, what is it that worries me most about the future, my personal future? Um... And this person was talking about, like, you know, losing their bills and all these kinds of things. And I honestly, just the way that I am, I couldn't care less about losing any of my 
accomplishments or any money or any material things at all. I've always been of the opinion that all everything that I've gained has come from something much deeper, which is like my brain, like what I know and what I've learned. And so the fact that I have a Rolex on my wrist means that I had information in my brain that got me a Rolex on my wrist, basically, right? And also, who could give a fuck about a Rolex? But you get my point. So the, the the real value, the cause of all everything I've achieved and accomplished and own is in fact what I know. And nobody can take that from me. So I don't care about losing stuff um, because you can never take from me what I know and what I've learned and who I am, right? So it's not that. That doesn't worry me. Interestingly... What worries me is not knowing what my end game is. And I know this isn't a rational worry either, but you've probably realized in the last couple of podcasts that I've been kind of searching for a definitive answer to where I want to end up in my life. And it, it got me thinking, it got me thinking, you know, like, we're built and we're raised to believe that life has a meaning and that you should know where you're going. And I, I want to, in this, in this moment, just challenge that assumption. I want to challenge the fact that there is any meaning to life. Let's start with the sort of scientific um, approach. So we are animals, right? I I don't, I hope nobody disagrees with that statement. Um, We've got to have a foundation to agree upon. We're animals, just like a dog or a cat or a monkey. We have 99% the same DNA as like an orangutan or whatever it is. Um, And what's the meaning of an orangutan's life? Presumably we, we don't assert upon an orangutan that it has to have uh, meaning, a divine meaning to its life. And I also, I almost think you, you can get yourself quite worked up and quite unfulfilled and quite sad if you believe or you try and find this divine specific meaning to your life. I don't think there is a meaning to life, being completely honest. I don't think there has to be. I don't think you need, you don't need to find this perfect sentence which gives meaning to everything you do. I think from a very rational perspective, and that's just the way that my brain is set up, um, we should spend less time trying to figure out our meaning or our purpose, and we should focus more on doing whatever it is we get the most enjoyment and fulfillment and um, from. And for some of us, that's doing good, right? And so you might say that's your purpose, not necessarily. Sometimes I get en- enjoyment from doing good work. Sometimes I get enjoyment from building a great business. Sometimes... I get enjoyment from um, helping a a homeless man or giving him some food. Sometimes I get enjoyment from my dog. Um, There's not one thing that gives me fulfillment and purpose and meaning in life. It's a multitude of things. And uh, I just want to spend my life and my journey doing as many exciting things that make me feel good. And therefore, that may be my meaning. That might be the meaning of life. Which again is a bit of a fucking paradox, isn't it? Because I've come full circle. But you get my point. Um, I think we should all worry less about finding a divine meaning or a purpose and uh, just doubling down on the things that we love the most and that make us feel the warmest in our bellies. And there you have my meaning of life. Fucking hell, this is like a horrible circle I'll never get out of. Anyway, moving on. My next point in my diary is about mental health. Um, 
just an observation I had this week about my generation in particular. And what I wrote in my diary is, do our generation have more mental health issues than any other generation? And if so, what is it that's making us sick? And some of you guys and girls will know that listen to my podcast. that I made a video on Facebook about how social media, I believe, is making us sick. How it's increased our anxiety. It's given us this this incredible pressure that we've never have had before. And I really, really believe that. I believe social media is one of the key things that is stressing all of us out. Just in my personal life, turning off my notifications for my WhatsApp and my text and my phone in general has given me such peace that I never had before. Just literally turning the notifications off because it means that I go to my phone as opposed to my phone coming to me. Um, and that's one little thing. If we go deeper... Social media provides this kind of like false economy of gratitude and appreciation and who's hot and sexy and popular by its design, right? And that can be, for some people, that can be self-esteem ruining, which can cause depressions and things like that. So social media is definitely one of the reasons why this generation, more than other generations, suffer more with things like anxiety. Um, we live in a more connected world than ever. We, this generation uh, have been connected from birth, unlike any other generation. The world we live in, because of the, the social media and the digital sphere, has everybody in it. As I said in my, my video on Facebook, it has your ex-girlfriend is there, your your parents are watching. We're all stood in the same room. That's what social media has done. It's made the, the room we're in enormous. And we're all being judged and analysed and trying to be perfect. But we're also only ever seeing everyone else's highlight reel. We get to see our behind the scenes, but we do not get to see everybody else's behind the scenes. This podcast is like a little look at my behind the scenes, but really you still don't see my full behind the scenes. And when you spend every waking day judging your behind the scenes to that girl's highlight reel or that person's highlight reel, it's very easy to think that you are unfortunate or that um, to judge your reality against a false reality of someone else's. And I guess that can be depressing. I think our generation are the first generation that have really had that, um, had such a focus on comparisons because of social media. Um, and lastly, I think the, the other interesting point about this is awareness. I don't think when my dad grew up, um, he had so much information out there about mental health and anxiety and depression and because of great work by charities, um, we are now much more aware of the way we're feeling and therefore we're much quicker to label how we're feeling and diagnose it, self-diagnose it as well. Um, there is so much content out there now about mental health issues. It's every time I log into my social media channel, somebody's talking up about it, which is honestly great. It's brilliant um, because it's allowed people not to suffer in silence. But I think the awareness has led to more people coming out and speaking out about it. So you've got this perfect storm of like a new digital, social, connected world, but also a much more educated world when it comes to social um, anxieties. Um, so yeah, that's my, my two cents on that. And I, I honestly think for anybody that's running a business in 2017, if you are a CEO, you should be looking to put into your business a mental health officer, just somebody, an external person that your teams can ring or go to if they are having any concerns or any issues at all. Because, you know, mental health is, um, it's a silent illness often. And um, it's an illness that can be, in some cases, addressed, or at least comforted by speaking to people. 
A question I get asked a lot is, do I have any mental illnesses that I've struggled with? And I've been fortunate enough in my um, in my short life to not have any sort of grave mental illnesses. I obviously feel things um, to some extremes at times, like we all do. I, I have moments where I feel very, very anxious about things, of course. I, I have moments where I go to bed with a feeling in my stomach of you know nervousness and tension because, because of the day that's coming up or because of a decision that I've got to make or you know those kinds of things. We all feel that, right? I, I think we all feel that. Um, but um, I don't think I've gone to the, the extent of having a, a mental health issue, uh, touch wood, um, but you know, if I do, I'll make, I'll be sure to make sure that I that I communicate that with everyone. My business partner Dom, um, who started the company with me, he's been through some some things, and he's been very vocal and open about that. And he's actually started a blog called Teetotal Runner, which is all about his journey from suffering a little bit with mental issues to overcoming those things, quitting alcohol, and becoming a his new self. And the transformation he's undergone is just you know it's tremendous. Next in my diary mood setting in the morning. This is a new thing for me. This is a, a completely new idea that I've I've tried out this week and it's already been amazing. Um, it's a very, very simple idea that I'm trying, which is when I wake up in the morning, before I leave the house, get my mood right. And I call it mood setting. From what I've seen, a lot of high profile, high performance individuals do this, but it was actually inspired by a bit of self-analysis that I had on myself. When I leave the house in the morning in a bad mood, I perform differently. I am negative. I am um, more impatient. I'm gen- generally a less nice person to deal with. So what I've started to do before I leave the house in the morning, I will get my mood right. And how I do this, and you can do it in various ways. You might watch documentaries, you might um, have take a bath, you might meditate, you might do yoga, whatever you want to do. For me, it's music. For me, the one thing that sets my, my mood right is putting my headphones in and literally standing in my room and walking around my room, um, getting ready with my headphones on. And that gets me fired up, it can get me happy, it can get me sad. My music can take me in any direction. And the power, I think, that getting my mood right before I leave the house can have on a day is tremendous. And if I can do that every day, then it can transform my life. I believe that. And so I challenge you, all of you listening to this now, to join me in trying this, which is setting your mood right before you leave the house to go to work in the morning. Um, I honestly think it can change your life. I really, really believe that. Um, Okay, so the next thing in my diary is my battle with the gym. Any of you that have followed me on YouTube or on Facebook will know that I've wanted to go to the gym consistently for some time now. Um, and being a 25-year-old guy, let's let's think about this honestly. I want a good body because I want to be more attractive and I want to feel better. And that's basically it. You know, I, like, it's not that complex. Um, I want a good body because I want to attract young ladies to be interested in me and because I want to feel good and yeah, that's basically it. I want to look better um, and be healthier as well because when I go, when I, you know, when I did go to the gym, I genuinely felt better when I woke up in the mornings, when I got home at night, I slept better. Um, But despite the fact that I want to go for the above stated reasons, I remain unable to get myself to. 
And I honestly believe that all of us know what we want to do. But the majority of us, 95% of us, struggle with knowing how to make ourselves do it. And that's like the story of self-discipline in life. We all know what we want to do. We all know that we want to spend an hour more working to get more done. Or we want to go to the gym. Or we want to eat healthy. Or we want to brush our teeth three times a day. Or whatever it is. We want to be the perfect boyfriend and text our girlfriend, you know, let her know good morning. But getting ourselves to do it is the bit that we all struggle with, right? And that's the story of me going to the gym. I've been unable to beat myself. Steve wants to go. Steve doesn't go. I'm not beating myself. And I've spent so much time reflecting as to why I can't seem to make myself do something that I want to do. This isn't just about the gym. This is in general. There are, you know, people. I think people look at me and think, okay, a young guy built a tremendous business and is doing well, uh, you know, fair. But I struggle with self-discipline just like everybody else. And I promise you, and I know these people, I've I've spoken to super, super successful CEOs, CEOs that are much more successful than I am. And they too struggle with self-discipline in some areas of their life. And so I've been, I've been sort of like searching for the reason why as disciplined as I am on some things, I can be undisciplined on others. And I honestly think that the strength of my why has a tremendous impact or effect on my ability to perform a task. The one time in my life where I was able to go to the gym for six months straight, every single day for six months, um, which was well documented because I posted every day on my, my story, um, was because my why was strong and clear. And right now, honestly, as we approach winter, I just couldn't give a fuck about going to the gym. I don't know why I'd want to go. I'm single. I'm not talking to any girls. I'm like, do you know what I mean? So my why isn't is isn't as clear and um often it's hard to find a why in something when the results take time so like it might be hard for you to find a reason why to brush your teeth three times a day because you don't see the impact of doing it one uh, three times today um immediately right it's it's belief it's long it's a long game and it's the same with the gym going to the gym today would cost me an hour and it would you know make me sweat and I'd have to have a shower after and there'd be no results tomorrow. And that sort of, so there's two things really that I've come to learn when it comes to discipline is belief is required. And that again, just stems from your why. So the reason why I'm not going to the gym right now, the reason why I'm getting super skinny um, is because I haven't got a why. So what I'm going to do starting the minute this podcast is finished recording is I'm going to go to the gym remember my why and go to the gym. I'm going to try and, I'll I'll report back next week, but I'm going to try and tell myself and literally write it down the reasons why I used to love going to the gym. Um, And let's see what happens. I'll report back next week. And lastly, the last point of my diary this week is a very simple one. It's about relationships. Um, I finish all of my diaries on this point. Uh, this is the point that's generated the most contention within my life. It's the point that has resulted in the most amount of text messages I've ever received. But I like being honest on this point because it's been very, very helpful. Um, over the past week, I've, as I said last week, I like miss my ex. Like I've been thinking about it a lot and I've been thinking about her and thinking about all the good times as we all kind of naturally do. I honestly believe that men and women 
get over relationships in different ways. I think women just get over it. I think they initially um, find it harder and then long tail, they get over it and move on and they don't go back. That's what I believe. Um, whereas I believe guys, they short term tend to find it a little bit easier, but then long term, they don't get over it <laughs> in the same way. That's just my personal experience. Don't know if that's the same for everybody, but you know, my opinion. Um, and the interesting thing is, these like these feelings have only come about in a moment where I'm completely like I'm completely single. I wasn't thinking about this so much when I was like dating other people, but now that I'm like completely single, my body's like playing these tricks on me and convincing me of something that I'm not so sure about. Do you know what I mean? And that's just the way that's just the way of the the, the human and the male mind is yeah, we play incredible tricks on ourselves. And I've honestly this week I I've, I've honestly really struggled with it like trying to figure out whether I really miss somebody or whether I'm tricking myself into missing somebody um, has been a tough, has been a tougher, has been a tougher thought journey. (laughs) Mm. I honestly don't know the answer. What I do know is that you got to keep it moving. You got to keep focused. You got to keep at it. And you've got to keep working hard. And that's what I'm going to continue to do this week and not consume my thoughts with missing my ex-girlfriend too much. Um, yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening to my diary this week. It's been kind of brief in points. Um, again, when I finish these these notes, I I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders and I feel clarity and I feel ready for the for the days and the weeks that I have ahead of me. Um next week, in next week's podcast, we're gonna do something slightly different. Okay. I am going to invite a CEO to join me and talk about their personal experiences, their deep dark thoughts, their diary, and the things that they probably wouldn't share with the world. And I just want to see what that looks like. So it's going to be an interesting experiment. It's not a permanent thing. It's just for one week, we're going to give it a shot. I'm going to invite in a CEO that I know very, very well. And someone that I know has been through more than anybody else I know. And I'm going to brief them before they come on. I'm going to tell them this isn't an interview. This isn't like any other piece of content they've ever made before. This isn't about PR or making yourself look good. This is about being honest. And let's see what happens. Hopefully, they're honest. And hopefully they share the, the realness and the, and the deep, dark thoughts. And if they don't, then I won't put it out. Simple as that. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review in the podcast store. Tweet me. Let me know what you thought of this podcast. And I will see you guys again next week. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky. 
and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems, because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.